First Corinthians chapter number 11. It is always a pleasure as we come to the Lord's Supper to focus in on the topic at hand to consider uh, this evening uh, what lies before us. The title of the message is simply this, how did we get here? How did we get here? It's not a story or message on creation, not that kind of getting here. But how do we get here? How do we arrive at a night in which you and I are gathered around a table that's set with juice and set with bread? <laughs> what has led up to it? So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read in verse 23, and these are certainly verses we'll repeat in a moment when we do observe the Lord's Supper, but uh, as for our consideration this evening, let's read verses 23 through 26. For I have received of the Lord, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus... The same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Interesting little uh, rabbit trail here, a side note. I was in Myers by about two weeks ago. In fact, it was the week of Thanksgiving. And uh, because of a busy day, I was at Myers buying things for the uh, extra things to go in the food baskets that we gave away here at church. And it was about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, I like to shop then when there's hardly anybody there. And uh, I was shopping as I was. I was kind of goal-oriented all the way through. And, and uh, uh, one of the guys who was overseeing the registers there at Meyer, he noticed that I was buying like six of everything. And that kind of draws people's attention and uh, when you're getting a lot of things. And, and he came over and said, hey, where, where, are you guys having a party at your work or something like that? And no, I said, no, I'm a pastor of Fostoria Baptist Church. Began to talk to him a little bit about church and invite him. And he said this question to me. He goes, okay, you're a pastor, right? I know something's coming every time somebody says that. And a question or something they don't quite understand. And this is what he said. He made, he made this question. He says, I'm Catholic. And he said this. He said, explain to me what Christ meant when he said, eat my flesh. Great question, huh? And uh, so I said, call Pastor Aaron. Here's his cell phone number, and uh, he'll be glad to give that. And no, I did not, but uh, had a great discussion with him. I really did. I, it, was, it was enjoyable. I had to get myself out of my goal-orientedness and focus on the opportunity at hand. I was able to witness to the man and uh, explain to him exactly what Jesus said. And, and certainly this verse makes sense. Take, eat, this is my body. It, it kind of echoes there in, uh, in Christ's sermon when he said, eat my flesh. And and just simply talking about trusting. We know it's not literal, but here, here's a sad note about this. Listen very carefully. As I was discussing with the man, and I shared several verses, I just started quoting off, Holy Spirit gave utterance, and I just started quoting several verses to tie together what it means to eat my flesh. He looked at me with a puzzled look, and you could tell the light kind of went on, and he said this. He said, my church never told me to study God's Word. In fact, they told us not to. I, and I'm just flabbergasted that that would be the case. And I said, well, let me share another verse with you. Study to show thyself approved unto God. So the Bible clearly wants It just blows my mind that somebody says, don't study the Bible. And I tell you, when somebody tells that, you ought to be very, very cautious. Very cautious. And it was a privilege, got to invite him, point him to the website and things like that. But you never know when you're going to have a conversation. You never know when you get to explain scriptures. And very much what Christ even said in this verse, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 25, And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. And this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And probably my favorite verse of this whole passage is verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show the Lord's death 
till he come. It's great truth. Now, considering the title of the message, how did we get here? If we were to consider that question uh, in regards to Christmas, I think the answer would come to us quickly, wouldn't it? How did we get to Christmas and what we celebrate even today? Well, we got to Christmas because of God's love for mankind. And that same God in heaven devised a brilliant plan by where the Son of God would come to earth, be born a human, would live a perfect life, and then go to the cross of Calvary to shed his blood in his body for our sins. Perfect plan, brilliant plan. Uh, The way to Calvary, we would say, had to go through the manger of Bethlehem. So the cross of Calvary made Bethlehem necessary. That's how we got to Christmas, because God had a brilliant plan, and he had to put it into action. And in order to get to the Calvary, uh, Christ had to be born a human. And he had to be born as such a way to fulfill prophecy in Bethlehem and such. But how do we get here? To this December evening in 2018, where you and I are gathered together in a church auditorium to remember, to commemorate the death of that same Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Yes, the cross made Christmas necessary, but the reverse is not the same. His birth did not demand his death. So then how did we get here? How do we get to the point where you and I, every few months, we we celebrate, we gather together to remember, as that verse 26 even said, to show the Lord's death until he returns. Well, it starts, as you would guess, with a simple truth. It starts with this, sinful mankind. Sinful mankind. You know, it does not take long, uh, too long, I should say, of an inspection of mankind, of human life, to know that something is inherently wrong with mankind. We may be attracted as human beings to things that are good and lovely, but we fail to live a good and perfect life, a sin-free life. Each one of us, uh, if left to ourselves, we struggle with frustration, we struggle with defeat and sorrow and pain. There's an inherent ineptness, a failure that is found within mankind. Instead of pushing higher and higher, better and better, we are constantly dragged down. Long ago, God said that through the Bible, he, He observed and He said this is the case. He put it in these terms, for all have sinned. Just this past Wednesday, we, we were looking at in Romans and where we are identified with Adam, that through Adam, we have all been cursed with a sinful nature. So the moment that you were born, and the reality is as you were formed, that sinful nature was passed on to each one of us. So ever since that fateful day in the Garden of Eden, every human being was born with a sin nature, damning us to a life of sin and sorrow and suffering because of that sin. Yeah, there's some uh, members of mankind, there's some human beings who who like to put, uh, through optimism, they try to put a positive spin on mankind. They attempt to convince you and I that man is really good, he's really okay, that we are all decent folks as human beings. May I encourage you this evening that anybody who says, oh, man's okay, man naturally is, is decent, they're, they're good people, we're good people. Can I tell you, that is a person who does not take sin seriously. Because sin has made us sinful human beings. We are scarred, we are tainted, we are frankly, in common terminology, messed up. Sin has wrecked us. 
And to say otherwise is, frankly, to go outside the truths of Scripture. We would obviously observe this. A simple perusal of the history books discloses that there's no pattern, not even a hint of humanity's moral perfectibility or the inevitable upward progression. We mentioned on Wednesday night, if as evolutionists say that we are evolving into something greater and and better, then it would also be true of our morality. And yet time and time again, we have seen in man's history, there is not a progression, there is a digression. Morals have been abandoned. Folks have left off living such a life that pleases God. And what does that tell us? There is something inherently wrong with mankind. I'm here to tell you this evening, it is sin. And God in heaven realized something needed to be done about sin. Hence, we are here tonight. As mankind stands today, and I like this statement, frankly, the unredeemed 2018 version or model of humanity is just as flawed as every other model or version that came before it. It's just as messed up. It's just as corrupted. It's just as affected. Under sufficient stress and pressure, it will do deeds of evil as cruel and terrible as anything recorded in history. A, a, just a simple glance at the headlines today will tell you that mankind is capable of any cruelty the heart can devise. You don't have to look at history. You don't have to look at the Holocaust. You don't have to look at the barbaric happenings in the history of mankind to say, oh, look, those people are so evil and sinful. Friend, you just have to look at mankind today. It is evident there's something inherently wrong with all of mankind. Even the self-sufficiency of a morally religious person is itself further proof of the full measure of sin running rampant in the heart of every human being. If we think that we are self-righteous and we have done something, can I tell you this, it's just as much an expression of the sin within us as someone who does all the evil thoughts of their heart. There may be a great optimism among mankind. You listen to humanists, you listen to atheists, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just uh, atheists sparked my mind this week. I don't know if you noticed it, an a atheistic... Um, principal, Iowa, somewhere like Nebraska, somewhere like that, she banned candy canes because they're in the shape of J, and she said it stood for Jesus. So she banned candy canes. She also banned red and green colors and decorations. My, what America's coming to, huh? It further points into this. Boy, the, the, we'll see it, the distrust of God and so forth. But let me see, let's just understand this. And yet that very same atheist would probably say, hey, mankind's doing great. We're progressing. We're evolving. Everything's wonderful. And there's this self-deceived optimism about mankind, about humanity and its future. And yet the Bible holds a cynical pessimism about humanity. And that pessimism rings true throughout history and experience as it's been proven right time and time again throughout ages past. We are here tonight to observe the Lord's Supper. Excuse me, why? Because mankind is sinful. There is a curse and a disease upon mankind. 
We can do nothing to cure ourselves. And left to ourselves, we will simply be dragged further and further down into the mire and mud and eventual destruction of sin. Sinful mankind brought us here tonight. But note there's a second thing, a second truth that has brought us here tonight. Not only sinful mankind, but also a sinful manifestation. A sinful manifestation. See, the book of Genesis details for us that humans were God's last and highest earthly creation. Our creatureliness is undeniable, inescapable. But though we were created like the animals and the trees and the skies and the rocks, we were lifted above all the other earthly creations by being made in the very image of God. Consequently, we were also aware of it. Whether we want to term that being given a soul or whatever the case is, we were consciously aware of the simple fact that you and I are different than the rocks and the trees and in all of creation and that God has made us in the very image of himself. He created mankind in his image. And of course, being created in the image of God was in keeping, now listen, it was in keeping with his purpose and plan. God doesn't do anything without reason. He doesn't do it without a plan and a purpose. And so if he created you and I in his image, he created mankind in his image, there's a purpose and plan behind it. It was to carry throughout all of history, throughout all of the future generations of mankind, and yet sin entered and messed that all up. May I say this? That apparently God wanted his image to be seen in us as the highest presentation of his creation. That's his goal. That was his plan. And in this, he placed you and I above all creation. Take, for instance, if you will, this this coin that I hold up for you. You can't see it unless you have excellent, excellent sight. But it's a quarter. You remember who's on the quarter? George Washington. Good. I knew you knew that. George Washington, it's not him, he's not on the quarter, that'd be pretty weird. Um, His image is on the quarter, right? I mean, that's who it is, that's his image. In fact, it's his left profile, okay, in case you were wondering. Okay, it's his left profile on the the quarter. It's his image. Now, honestly, you're not going to be able to remove that image from that quarter, this coin, unless probably you'd have to destroy it or certainly mess it up pretty good to remove that image. There's another example of an image. Um, have you ever been around a lake or maybe even a pool for that matter, but on a dark night and yet it's a clear night and, and you were able to see the reflection of the moon on the lake and, and the water was perfectly still and it was just sitting there and boy, it was a beautiful reflection of the image of the moon. And yet what happens? You let a little wind come up and start and all of a sudden you get a ripple or you get a wave in that lake and, and all of a sudden that image of the moon is distorted and it's not quite perfect. It's, it's not really a good reflection of the moon. Or let's say uh, all of a sudden in that perfectly clear sky and the moon's reflection there on the the still water let's just say for a moment a a few clouds creep in and all of a sudden those clouds as they creep in they they come between the moon uh, and that water and all of a sudden that that reflection is gone the image is distorted maybe even destroyed we might say by the clouds coming between the moon and the water We would say this, that image on the water depends upon a certain relation or relationship between the moon and the water. 
For a proper reflection of the image, the relationship must be undisturbed and untouched by that which would threaten it. The winds blowing, the clouds coming in the sky. Can I tell you this evening, that analogy is a very good one for the image of God in humans. You see, the image of God in humans depends on our relationship between God and ourselves. A relationship of loving trust and obedience towards God and in God's love of humans. But sin, by its very nature, separates. It it comes between things. Sin is the cloud that comes between the image of the moon and the still waters. It is the wind that kicks up and, and distorts the image of the moon and the water. Might we put it this way? Sin has come between mankind and his intended purpose of bearing the image of God. It has distorted that image in each one of us. And something, something needed to be done about that. You and I no longer, because of sin, could reflect the image of God as was His intention from creation. Sin was manifested in that it distorted, it destroyed what you and I, what every human being was designed, was purposed to declare the very image of God. And sin came along and messed that up. And I'll tell you, my friend, tonight, because sin was manifested in such a way... That's what brought us here tonight. The solution, the cure for that fact. And yet sin manifested itself in many ways. We saw it in the Garden of Eden when the tempter very subtly suggested to Eve that God should have given people freedom to eat of every tree. No doubt in that, he hinted that human limitation is due to some lack of love on God's part. Isn't that always how the tempter works? For you and I, we stand so blessed, we have received so many good gifts from God, and yet it's the devil who comes to tempt us to dwell on what we don't have. And then to turn around and to blame who? Well, God, who's sovereign. He doesn't tell us and remind us that the Bible says that all things work together for our good. He doesn't remind us that God said, listen, I will not withhold any good thing from you. No, the devil doesn't remind us of that, just as he did with Eve. He, he wanted to say, hey, look, hey, there's only one limitation, and he's trying to hold out on you. He's trying to keep something good from you. He's trying to deceive you. And all of a sudden, the seeds were planted. What kind of seed was it? It's a seed of distrust. The seed of distrust. And as that seed of distrust was beginning in that temptation... That temptation was going to open the door wide open for sin to forever affect mankind. Then quickly, that subtle tempter followed it up with a new suggestion. He simply said this, Ye shall be as gods. You'll be the God. See, not only should you not trust Him, but you ought to replace Him. It's amazing how sin manifests itself, isn't it? History bears it to be true. As Eve took the tempter up on his temptation, sin entered. As Adam did likewise, sin was manifested. Sin grew and grew and grew. It became the greatest disease that mankind has ever faced. And there is no cure apart from what we celebrate and remember this evening. You see, when humans, when humans cease to trust God completely, they then in turn strive to be gods themselves in the sense of deciding what is good, what is satisfying, and so forth and so on. 
it all starts with saying, God's not worthy of your trust. Sin manifests itself in individuals who desire to be the center of their own world. And they, in turn, regard their own good and the pursuit of that good to be the most important thing, more important than anything else. And so instead of seeing and worshiping God in all of creation, instead of honoring God for making us such a distinct part of His creation, endowing us with great distinctions, instead of loving Him with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, humans love themselves. They love themselves. In fact, Romans chapter 1 says that. You ask, how is sin manifested today? Oh, friend, it is blatantly obvious the manifestations of sin. The distrust of God. The denial of God. The rebellion against God. The simple fact that man loves himself more than anything else. More than the God who created him and gave him a special place in creation. Do not forget this evening, my friend, that the essence, the very nature of sin is distrust for God, which manifests itself in unbelief, rebellion, and alienation. Literally, we separate ourselves from God. We pull away when as we should be drawing close, we allow sin to manifest itself in such a way that we are drawn away from our God. As sin is manifested on this earth and within our lives in our distrust of God and rebellion against Him, it distorts and it destroys the image of God that He intended to be seen in us. If we were to look at most of mankind today, if we were to look at the unbeliever, the one who has not put their faith and trust in Christ, would someone say, oh, look at that. That looks like God certainly not in the times of Noah when every man did that which was right in his own eyes in other times that followed when man served himself when he put himself on the throne of his heart would the world would anyone look and say ha look that's obvious that they are reflecting the God of heaven no way Jose but there is one thing and one thing alone that can bring you and I back to bearing the image of our Creator. And it is that one thing that brings us here tonight. It is the death and shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. To deal with sin once and for all, to redeem sinful mankind, and to reverse the manifestations of sin. To enable you and I to get back to not having a distorted or destroyed view of God or image of God in us, but to see it restored. And so something had to be done about it. And so God did. But there's more. You know what else we see? And boy, it's such a true statement. We're here tonight because of sinful mankind. We're here tonight because of the sinful manifestations we see. We're here tonight because of what I like to state as a sinful mess. Disharmony. Disharmony. You see, as sin entered the human race... As it entered through the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, it became evident that it was a great violation of the very nature of God, the order that God established. And so as sinful beings, as we have violated that nature of God, we have violated the order of God, we've transgressed the limits that God has placed upon us, what occurs? Well, it's a mess. May I put it this way, maybe a nicer way of putting it, when God's nature is offended and His order broken, the unity and the harmony of life is badly distorted and eventually it is utterly destroyed. 
So you and I, because of sin, and mankind across the world and in every age, we began to live life that is contrary to the very nature of God. So no longer do we bear His image, but we're also breaking His rules. We're going against the limits that He has set up. And as we do such, we are breaking the order of God, and thus we usher in disunity and disharmony around the world. Genesis, the first few chapters, is a great illustration of this truth. We won't look at the passage as much, but let's understand. We know the context. Let's understand these aspects, the pattern that Genesis sets up for us. You know what disharmony sin brings? What kind of disharmony? Number one, humans experience disharmony within themselves. Within themselves. May I dare say this, and I'll be careful with this statement, but can I tell you this? I don't think, excuse me, I know that in heaven there will be no schizophrenics. There will be no multiple personality disorders. There will be no mental maladies. There there will be no uh, depression. There will be no anxiety. There will be none of these things. Why? Because I'll tell you, you know what brings disharmony within us? Sin. That is the root cause of all disharmony in here. Sin. And so as we look at mankind down through the ages and what sin has, the, 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 the havoc it has wreaked in mankind, we understand that one of the things it has done is it has created disharmony within ourselves. I quoted this morning this statistic about suicide. Hey, friend, can I tell you, that's disharmony within ourselves. When people think the only escape to this world and its pressures and its trials is to take their very life, something is wrong. And that something that is wrong is simply sin. But I sure am glad that God had a plan to deal with it. Disharmony within ourselves. You know, number two, what we see, and you can even see that in Genesis with Adam and Eve, but number two, uh, humans experience disharmony between themselves and nature. From the very get-go, what did God say? Boy, Adam, (laughs) I hope you're going to enjoy being a farmer. It's going to be tough. To get your food, and you're going to fight the thistles and the thorns, and you're going to, boy, it's going to be hard. This ground is not going to cooperate like it once did in the Garden of Eden, and nature's going to go against you, and those animals are going to turn on you, and, and boy, things are going to happen that are not going to be good. Boy, we can look at the world, and we can see a disharmony even between ourselves and nature. You know what brought that? Sin. You know what the ultimate answer for that is? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Number three, you know what else disharmony it brought? Humans experience disharmony between themselves and other humans. Amen and amen, right? Yeah, I mean, it's there. We have to admit it. Neighbors don't get along with neighbors. Roommates and and, and don't get along with each other. And I mean, you name it. Family doesn't get along with family. People hate each other. Ethnicities don't, don't like that. I mean, there is such disharmony in, the, in mankind amongst humanity, and it has a simple root. It is called sin. And yet, what is he called? The Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. Harmony to a world that knew nothing but disharmony. Last but not least, and I yet certainly not least, probably the most important is this obvious statement. Humans experience disharmony between themselves and God. 
as Adam and Eve perfectly illustrated as they kicked out of the garden, that fellowship had changed forever. Never to be enjoyed this side of heaven the way it once was. Disharmony. You see, these four dimensions exist and surround each of us. They're with us each and every day. They're always present. You and I can't live a day in which these areas of disharmony, uh, these dimensions don't show themselves in one way or the other. Why? Because we are here on earth. And on this earth, sin is present. Something needed to be done to fix it. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. The cure, the fix. I would simply put it this way. It is salvation miraculously bestowed. Salvation miraculously bestowed. Through the death of Jesus Christ that we commemorate and remember this evening, God's provided a way of salvation for people who acknowledge their sin, who confess it, and turn to God's anointed one for healing. You know what's neat? There's an, an essence, a definition of the word salvation that literally means wholeness. To be made complete. To be made whole. I like that in terms of this simple truth. That in this salvation, Christ made it possible for humanity, yea, might we put it this way, for wholeness to be restored to the entirety of humanity each one of our lives through what christ did on the cross in our faith in his finished work each sinful human can be rendered sin free when it comes to the judgment of god so number one what brought us here tonight was what sinful mankind well because of the salvation and the sacrifice that jesus christ made now you and i as we've seen in romans we and I, we can be changed from sinful mankind to sin free children of god through the application of Christ's righteousness and the payment paid for the penalty of our sin. So no longer do we have to be sinful mankind, but you and I can be sin-free mankind through Jesus Christ. To be fully realized in heaven. Yeah, we're still fighting that old sinful nature, but oh, glorious will be the day when we're done with this old body. And this old sinful nature that hounds our feet like nobody's biz. <laughs> we'll be done with it one day. And Christ made that possible. All the manifestations of sin will be rendered null and void. And our trust in God will be restored so that you and I can bear the image once more being the creation that God intended us to be. Here's the great truth. When you and I came to put our faith and trust in Christ and what He did on the cross of Calvary, from that moment forward, God began to work in our lives to restore you and I to bearing the image of God Himself. What sin had broken, what sin had distorted, what sin had dis destroyed, you and I now, through the blood, faith of Jesus Christ, faith in Him, you and I are now being restored to the very image of Jesus Christ. The image of God. To be a proper reflection of our grand Creator in all morality and all holiness. And oh, the day is coming where you and I will reflect the holiness of God. Because you and I will be sin free day's coming and this has brought the cure his sacrifice notice it also number three the fact is this and it's a beautiful thought here all the disharmony of life will be dissolved 
The harmony of life will be destroyed. Now, now take for a moment, is not life and eternity what, picture this, what pictures this truth the best? So sin has brought disharmony. It has, it has messed up the harmony of life, us with God, us with one another. Harmony within ourselves has stolen it. Uh, our harmony even with nature, it, it, it's ruined that. It's brought nothing but disharmony. And yet, what do we see is pictured in, in our life in eternity? Well, first of all, there's a harmony between us and God that it, that in which we will enjoy a perfect and complete relationship with God. I'll tell you, I do not like going through a day or going through a week and sinning against God. I don't enjoy that. That, 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 that. Boy, that affects my relationship with Him. Even though I confess it, and boy, I restore that, that, that's fantastic. But I'll tell you, as a child of God, I don't like the thought that I displeased Him. That I let Him down. Man, I sure am thankful that God has made it, Jesus Christ has made it possible for me to restore that harmony. And friend, when we reach heaven, it will be there forever. It'll be a complete and beautiful relationship like we've never experienced before. You know what else is going to be true? We're going to get perfectly along with nature as nature gets along with itself. You remember the pictures of eternity and in heaven and the time to come and the kingdom of Christ? How the lion and the lamb are going to lay down by each other? How a child may, can play on the, the nest of a, 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 of a snake or whatever the case may be and, and not get bitten, not get stung, whatever it is? Hey, we will have harmony with nature itself. I don't know about you, but I sure like that idea. Just this week, I was reading a story of a lady who got, I think, attacked by a hippopotamus or something. I don't know about you, but I'd like to go pet a hippopotamus. But I don't think I'll try it this side of heaven. I don't want that to happen to me. Hey, won't it be neat to live in perfect harmony with nature? Now listen, what makes that possible? Jesus Christ. Calvary, his sacrifice. Man, what a delight that's going to be. And certainly, <laughs> last but again, not least, we will enjoy a perfect and complete peace within ourselves. A perfect harmonization of everything that we are. You know, sometimes you and I, we may hide it well, but there's worries, there's anxieties. There may be a lack of peace even now in this moment, that something that's going on this week. Maybe a bill to be paid. Maybe an event you're not looking forward to. Maybe some things that don't have the answers. God has not made them clear. And in ourselves, there's, there's just a little turmoil. There, there, there's just a little bit of, uh, you know, and, and boy, it can cause ulcers. It can cause all kinds of things. And boy, we can just be distraught. We can get a little depressed. And, and even in a, a Christian who's doing their best to follow after God, there can be a little disharmony, a little lack of peace. Man, I am so looking forward to the day when there will be nothing that breaks up that peace. We're a flat tire. We're a, a furnace that doesn't work. We're bad health news. Kind of, you know, oh, it just kind of affects us. And boy, we're fighting it. And it's so hard not to get discouraged. And boy, lose the peace that's in us. And, and man, what a day that will be when we don't have to wrestle and worry about any of that. Hey, that all started right here. That's what brings us here tonight. Tonight is as much a remembrance as it is a celebration. Because what does God promise? 
Oh, he that hath begun a good work in you will complete it. The day is coming where all of this will be realized. May I put it this way, and may this be our consideration as we enter into observing the Lord's Supper. What sin has stolen, ruined, and broken, and wounded. Christ died on the cross to restore, to heal, to mend, and deliver. And my friend, that is exactly what we celebrate this evening. Christ, who is the answer for it all. Oh, it is good to end on a good note, isn't it? I'm glad you and I have read the last chapter and we know who wins. It isn't sin. It isn't the devil. It isn't this old world. It's our God and our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to go right into it. Men, deacons, if you'll join me here at the front. We just read a moment ago. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul makes a, a, a... Uh, basically a statement saying, I'm sharing with you exactly what the Lord has delivered unto me. But I would draw your attention down as you have your Bibles even open here to verse number 27. It says this, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28 is especially important as we enter into this uh, very important consideration. But let a man examine himself. You see, even with sin, self-examination is where it starts. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and, and many sleep. It, it is literally a reference to what John wrote. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is one other thing that Jesus Christ has enabled to happen. That now, you and I don't have to live with the presence of sin. Though it may occur, though you and I might sin tomorrow, we don't have to put up with sin's presence in our life anymore. Because Jesus Christ has come, he has died on the cross to deal with sin. And one day, we will be delivered from the presence of sin for all of eternity. But for the present, God has encouraged you and I to confess those sins so they are no longer in our lives. You know, this passage uh, seems to speak that if you and I come and we observe the Lord's Supper and, and we have some sin that we are uh, we, uh, unconfessed, unrepented of, we, we harbor it in our lives, we're hanging on to it, that we are indeed eating and drinking unworthily. Or even to a greater extent, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So he says, let a man examine himself. And so these next few moments, as we begin to hand out the bread, the symbolic nature of Christ's flesh offered and sacrificed for you and I, we are encouraged from this passage and certainly the Holy Spirit to examine ourselves. Number one, let's make sure that you and I are children of God. We have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and all that He has done, His finished work on the cross of Calvary. Number two, let's make sure there's no sin in our lives that we have not confessed. A thought here, a, a word not rightly spoken, a, a loss of anger or whatever the case may be, a, a deed that was uh, wicked, evil, sinful. Have you confessed it? I would encourage you as your pastor, yea, as a fellow believer, that you and I deal with it that we do not eat and drink unworthily. And that would become before this wonderful time of remembrance, of celebration, and make sure that our hearts are right, that there is nothing between our Savior and us. 
I trust you and I use these quiet moments as the piano plays quietly as we hand out and dispense the bread. May we use it as an opportunity. Yes, number one, to remember, to celebrate, to thank God for His great sacrifice. But two, let us examine ourselves. Let's make sure that we are eating and drinking worthily. And as we do, then we enter into a time of celebration and remembrance. Commemorating what our Savior did for us.